All right, I will say good morning, good morning, let us begin. So begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Sure to thank Baruch Hashem, all of our Tamil sponsors, Jerry and Abby, Abby Applebaum for dedicating the Shurim this month in memory of Basia Bas Chaim and Dove Ben Avram. To thank Drs. Paul and Linda Weinberg for dedicating the Shurim this month in memory of their son, Mordechai Yehoshua, Ben Paris Moshe, Valeya Miriam, Zichron Levracha, Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating the Shurim in the Schutzvah of Shlema for Kathy's sister, Dana Baker Matson, Stephen Terry Zinn, with gratitude to Hashem for their new grandson, Bonim Tzvi Hirsch Zinn, Reb Naftali Tilson, with thanks to his chaver, Benjamin Wall, and wishing the entire shir Echa Kasher Vesameach, and Shindin Avram Kelman for dedicating the shurim in memory of Avram's mother, Sarah Braina Bas Yoshua Heschel. We thank all of our Tamil Torah sponsors for their incredible dedication and generosity. Also, with that, let us begin. Today's daf is Lamed Dalid. for giving the shir yesterday. I know you got to the end of the. Um, we're actually going to start again from the Mishnah. Just, just this way again to reorient ourselves a little bit, and that way the sugya flows a little bit better. Get up to us. It's not. Uh, it's Baruch Hashem. As far as the Mishnayos go, one of the more simpler Mishnayos from the from the previous Mishnayos that we had. So the Mishnah Lamed Gimel Lamed Beis. Bottom of 33b says as follows. Two, two men who went ahead and were Makadish, two women. Now again, not brothers, not sisters. Again, this is a case of all unrelated individuals, four unrelated people. Two men married two women. What occurs? There's a mix up. There is a mix-up. It happens, right? There is a mix-up, and again, we get confused. Who is married to who? Now we'll say. Now remember, the part that the Mishnah doesn't indicate is that Allah right? They all had. In other words, each couple had relations. The shaila just is: did they have relations with the people they were actually married to, or chas the people who they were not married to? So we'll say, what's ta'alocha? So remember again, this is piggybacking on the previous sugya. So the previous sugya was talking about a number of things. Number one, multiple prohibitions devolving upon the same person at the same time. Isr Mosif and Isr Kolel, right? Isr Mosif, where again we have a secondary Isr, which includes a larger group of people. Isr Kolel, which involves the same group of people, but piles on additional Isurim on those same individuals. So this, this Mishnah is continuing in this same topic. So when these two couples engage in relations, right? Each couple is having relations with one another. And now again, we're unsure did husband and wife actually cohabit with the correct husband and wife? The result is, Ultimately, everyone is chayim because of adultery. Now, we'll say we're talking about, well, the mission is going to clarify this. You already saw this. I'm not spoiling it for you. Right? The, the Gemara is going to clarify. We're talking about a case of shogeg, a case of accidental avera, not chasashalom, a case of intentional violation. So there's Ashes Ish. So the Gemara says, So I look at Mishra Ashes Ish. Vim Hayu Achin. If the two men in question were brothers, Mishum Ashes Ach. Then in addition, ultimately to adultery, there would also be the Isra of Ashes Ach, cohabiting with one's brother's wife. Vim Hayu Achayos. And if the two women were sisters, Mishum Isha El Achosa. We have a problem of Achos Isha, wife, sister. Vim Hayu Nidos. And if they were also both Nidos, Mishum Nida, 
there'd be a problem of nida. So we'll say, so th- those are all the possible prohibitions that one could potentially violate in a scenario like this. Another halacha, they will say, after the mix-up is discovered, so remember again, was we're going to see, because we're talking about a case of accidental avera, so the couples will remain permitted to, right, husband and wives will remain permitted to one another. The issue, of course, then becomes, is in the event that someone is pregnant. In other words, let's say there was a mix-up, we need to know whose child is who. So as a result, once we discover the mix-up, right, and we understand now who is married to who, we make husbands and wives separate from one another for three months in order to determine if they were pregnant or not. But again, if we're talking about a case where the girls were minors, ketanos, and therefore incapable of becoming pregnant, this concern does not exist, and therefore, again, everybody's permitted to resume normative married lives. And if they were kohanos, if they, now both say, again, with papashtos, we assume that means if they're daughters of kohanim, they are prohibited from truma. Rashi says, we'll see what this means exactly in the Gemara. Beautiful. Says the Gemara. Hechlifu. So we'll say, it's interesting. What the Gemara is bothered by over here is the Lashon of Shnaim Shekitshu Shtein Lashon Mushaskin Sassan Chopa Hechlifu. Hechlifu sounds like a willing exchange. A willing exchange? Midi Bereshi Askinon? Is the Mishnah talking about Rishoy? Who are knowingly and willingly committing an act of adultery? Vesu. Hadithan Rebichi Harei Kan Sheish Esvei Chatoos. Furthermore, Rabbi Chia said, this Mishnah has a total of 16 potential chatos. Even mezid, mi'ika karban. Must remember again, a karban chatos is brought for an accidental commission of an avera. Like there's no karbanos when there is a willful transgression. So if we're talking about mezid, I would even bring up chatos. On Rabbi Yehuda, tani huchlifu. You're right, change the gear, so. It's not hechlifu, which means they exchanged, which would sound like a willful commission of an Avera. Rather, it's hochlifu. Hochlifu means what? They were swapped, right? They were exchanged. They were exchanged. Ultimately, it means there was a mix-up. There was a mix-up. Shogay. Hachanayim v'stavra, diktani seifim hayu kitano shena ru'iyos leleid, machzirno samiyad. The riot to this is, look at the end of the Mishnah. What does the Mishnah say? If the women in question were kitanos, and therefore, again, there's no concern about pregnancy, the halacha is immediately after, after the mistake is discovered and everything is straightened out. So at that point in time, everyone is returned to their rightful husband and they can resume normative lives. By, by Katanos, where there's no concern about pregnancy, they can resume normal married life immediately. Viba mezid, misharia, but vatam mezid. We'll say again, the, if, if a person intentionally commits adultery, so they become Asr the Baal and the Boel. Hello, Kashia. So th- that's not really such a good question because Pitwe Katan Ones Ninu. Because we'll say, technically speaking, if a man seduced a Kitana, even though the Kitana quote unquote participated willingly, the seduction of a Kitana is still considered to be the halachic equivalent of rape, a violation, because a Kitana is considered to be not to have complete das. So the Gemara says, but nevertheless, leave aside the case of the Kitana. You see, even from the other case, we go ahead and we separate the women from their husbands for three months to ascertain if they're pregnant 
whom they are pregnant from. The inference from that is if somehow we were to determine, we know for sure that they're not pregnant, they'd be permitted to resume normal, norm, normative married lives immediately. But if at the end of the day this was a willful commission of adultery, would ultimately resumption of normative married lives be permitted? Of course not. There was a very important piece of information, very important step in the Gemara. The Gemara says, change the girsa. The girsa is not hechlifu. Hechlifu means, sounds like, they willingly, they willingly engage, these two couples willingly engage in an act of adultery. The Mishnah says, change the girsa from, from hechlifu to hochlifu. Hochlifu meaning, ultimately, one, what happened it was a mix-up. Right? It was a mix-up. There was a mix-up, and as a result, again, it's possible that that acts of adultery occurred. Good. For very important piece, we'll say because without that, the rest of the Mishnah does not get started. Good. So now, Huchlafu. Top of Lama Dalit. Says the Gemara, Uman Haitano, the Isle Isser Kolal, the Isser Mosif, the Isser Basacha. So we'll say this is actually great. So the Gemara says, Who is the Tana who holds of all three of these concepts? An Isser Kolal, right? An Isser Mosif, and an Isser Basacha. So now take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, Uman Haitano, the Masnisin, the Isle Chal al Isser. Now we'll say, the Mishnah is predicated on the principle of Isr Chalal Isr. That literally, again, one layer of prohibition could devolve upon an already existing layer of prohibition. And the Mishnah actually has this in a variety of ways. Look at Rashi. Bein al Yedei Kolel, Bein al Yedei Mosif, Bein al Yedei Basachas. So if you look at the cases of the Mishnah, the Mishnah really utilizes three different types of Isurim. There's what's called an Isser Mosif, an Isser Kola. So that we've already seen before, right? In yesterday's daf, in the pre, in Friday's daf, we've seen this concept. An Isser Mosif, remember again, is a secondary Isser, which spreads a wider net, includes more people. An Isser Kola, no more people, but what? More layers of Isser on the same people. Isser Bas Achos is now when you incur multiple liabilities simultaneously. One act generates simultaneous liability for multiple things. So the Mishnah, by the way, includes all of these elements. Look at Rashi. It's actually a wonderful Rashi. Rashi says, watch this. Here we go. Watch. Rashi, third line down from the top. Listen to this. Follow the progression here. When Reuven is Mekadish Rachel, right? Reuven is the first guy. I know we've always been using Reuven and Shimon as brothers, right? Right now we're starting out that they're not brothers. Keshekidish Reuven. That's the computer. Keshekidish Reuven as Rachel, right? Tchila. When Reuven went ahead and was Mekadish Rachel, Neesra al Shimon Mishum Eishes Mishum Eishes Ach Veishes Ach. Rashi's starting right that they are brothers. Fine. So we've got we've got Reuven and Shimon, right? So Reuven and Shimon are brothers. So when Reuven, when Reuven is Mekadish Rachel, so Rachel is Asr to Shimon on two things, right? Number one, Eishes Ish. Another man's wife. Number two, Eishes Ach, brother's wife. Vahinu Basachas. Now, I will say, those two Isurim occur simultaneously, right? Because the moment that Ruvain marries Rachel, those two Isurim, Eishes Ish, Eishes Ach, devolve upon Shimon simultaneously. So that's what we call Basachas. Two Isurim coming at once. The Kamachayiv Leitana Didan Atarbayu. So I will say, and by the way, our Mishnah holds that clearly. Yerchayev for a surim that occur basachos. Now, what happens? Watch this. This gets very exciting. 
Chazer Shimon Vikidesh Leia. So we'll say now what happens? Shimon now is Mekadesh Leia. So Shimon gets married. He marries Leia. Who's Leia? Leia's Rachel's sister. Now, Migo da Asri Leia Hanach Kidushin Bekulu Shar Achvasa Mishum Achos Isha Asri Le Nami Beishes Achiv Mishum Achos Isha. Now, both say, now once Shimon is Mekadesh Leia, so what happens? So now, Rachel becomes Asr to him how? Right, why? Or why, I should say? Achosisha, right? So, wife's sister. Now, both say, that is an Isser Mosif. Why? Because now, remember again, when Shimon marries Leah, she becomes Asur to all the other brothers as well. Since she becomes Asur to all the other brothers, a new layer of Isser also devolves upon Shimon. Ultimately, again, now, Rachel is also the wife of his sister. Even though Rachel was already ushered to Shimon, right? How was she already ushered to Shimon? Remember again, how was she already ushered to Shimon? Eishas Ish, married woman, and, right? And Eishas Ach, brother's wife, right? Two layers of Isser. Then, when Shimon marries Leah, that's, this is now what we call it Isser Mosif, because now Leah becomes a sword to all of the other brothers, an additional layer of Isser. When she becomes a sword to all the other brothers, that also adds on another layer of Isser, of Shimon vis-a-vis Rachel, then now Rachel is his wife's sister, three Surim. But I would say, but listen to this. But Rachel herself is still permitted to Ruvain. What happens? Pirsa Nida. If Rachel now becomes a Nida, Miga ditosif Israela legabe Baila Mishum Nida, itosif Fadnami Israel legabe Shimon, Haris Esra Mosif. So I'll say, now watch this. Once Rachel becomes a Nida, so once she becomes a Nida, ultimately onto her own husband. Ruven because of Isr Nida. The Isr Mosif also comes along and says she's now Asura to Shimon, also as a Nida. So I'll say what you see over here is happening over here is the case of the Mishnah incorporates all three of these principles. Well, first of all, it incorporates the general principle of Isr Chalal Isr, right? That you could have a concept like this, you could have a concept like this that one Isr could devolve upon another. We're accepting that already as, as a given. What the Mishnah also highlights is that you could have Isr Basachas. Turi Surim occurring at once, Isr Mosif, right, and Isr Kola. So Isr Mosif, again, remember, a additional Isr that casts a wider net, more people involved in the Isr, and Isr Kola, ultimately, same group of people, but more Isurim on them. So who is the Tana who holds of all of these concepts? I'm Rabbi Yudamarav, Rabbi Meir, he. It's Rabbi Meir. Both say, listen to this case. Because Rabbi, what does Rabbi Meir say? This Sanyo, Yish Ochalachi La'achas V'chaiwa La'arba Chatos. There is a person who can engage in one act of consumption, and yet one act of consumption could generate an obligation for four chatos. But I have to tell you, I don't care how much of a foodie one is, right? There is no amount of food that is worth, no type of food that is worth four chatos. Right? So I said, there's one act of consumption that could result in four chatos. The chayibala, arba chatos, va'asham echad, sorry. Four chatos and one asham. I will say, what's the case? Here we go. Tame, someone who's tame. Sha'achal chalev, who ate chalev, all right? But not any type of chalev. Vunosar min amukdashin. And it's nosar from a carbon. So now, both side, he's tame, eating sacrificial items. The sacrificial item that he's eating is nosar, right? From carbonos. Biyom ekiburim. And it's yom kippur. And it's yom kippur. Right? The most ask is just stay in shul. Just stay in shul. You leave shul and yom kippur, you get into trouble. So I'll say, so if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, here they are. Mishum tuma dochel kajim. Remember again, number one prohibition is a person who's tummy 
eating sacrificial items. Betumas Agof, Bekares. Umishum Chelev, number two is Chelev. Umishum Nosar, number three is Nosar. Umishum Yom Kippurim, and number four is Yom Kippur. Those are the four Chatos. Where does the Asham come from? Va'asham Me'ilos, Dafilu Kohen, Lagabe Imurim, Zarhu. So we'll say, number four, the Asham is... The uh, asham ilos, an asham from going ahead and prohibiting uh, prohibited benefits from kachim, which is even if you're a kohen, if you eat chelav, which you're not allowed to eat, that's meila. So the asham is from meila. So I'll say these are the four chatos and one asham from meila. Incredible. Rabbi Meir says. Rabbi Meir says. By the way, im haisa shabbos vaotzia befiv chayiv. Rabbi Meir says if it was shabbos and you carried out this chelav in your mouth, you'll be chayiv for that as well. A fifth prohibition. Amrulo, they said to Rabbi Meir, no, Amrulo, ain't no min Hashem. They said to Rabbi Meir, that's not, that's not true. Right, said, because remember again, Rabbi Meir is throwing in there, what we're looking for is multiple, multiple liabilities generated by eating. Rabbi Meir is throwing in something else. That's not generated by eating. That prohibition of Shabbos is a separate prohibition. If you carried something out on Shabbos, you're going to be chayiv, but the simultaneity factor is not there. So they dismiss Rabbi Meir. So both say, so therefore, but the point over here is Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir Halach says that you're chayiv. He's, he's adding in additional items, but clearly he agrees with the first part. So therefore, it's Rabbi Meir. It's a sheet of Rabbi Meir is the one who holds that you could be chayiv from multiple liabilities at once. So Rabbi Meir would hold Isra Basachos, Isra Mosef, Isra Kolal. So this is fascinating. Rabbi Meir Ali Budiman. Now remember, who does Rabbi Meir state this opinion according to? Now I will say, there is another sub-mathlokis over here. And this is actually rivetingly fascinating. If you take a look at the last short line in Rashi, Rabbi Meir Ali Budiman, listen to this. Kilomar, Nihidisab Rabbi Meir, Iyo Kiyai Gavna Os Isra Chalal Isra. Miu heichad de kamis kavin le dvar mitzvah. Lisa isha keman mirabosa sile. Sebo saying, here's what's interesting about the case that we just saw. The guy who's eating chalev, right? The guy who's tame, who's eating chalev, of nosar, of kodshim, on Yom Kippur. So Yemir said, multiple levels of liability and simultaneous liability. Isra basachos, Isra mosit, Isra kolo. I will say, this is a case of Isser. The case of the Mishnah is a little bit different. Remember, what's the case of the Mishnah, I will say? What, what's, what's, what's everybody's Kavana in the case? You have two couples. What's their Kavana? What's their Kavana in the Mishnah? To be married. Right? So I will say, this is a case of Niskavin Lidvar Mitzvah. So I will say, this is different. Because in the case, in the Bryce of the Gemara just quoted over here, the intention is to commit an Avera. Right? Or in other words, even if you want to say the guy is shogeg, right? There's no intention to commit the mitzvah. At most, there's an intention just to eat something and you didn't realize what it is that you were doing. That's different than a case where the kavano was to commit a mitzvah. In the case of here, it's their intention, they got married. Their intention was to consummate the marriage, the beer is shown It's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. So, what a, so we'll say now, watch this. Look, look at Rashi. Look at Rashi. So he says, listen to this. So here's the shayla. When a person has in mind to do a mitzvah, but instead of doing a mitzvah, they end up doing an avera. 
So what's the impact of that act? Now I will say this is a discussion in Rabbi Lazar de Mila Masech Shabbos. Listen to this. The Sanya Hasam Bigimara Misha Hayulosh. I'm reading in Rashi. Misha Lo Shteiti Nokos Echalam B'Shabbos Echalam B'Alef B'Shabbos. But say here's the case, right? I have two babies in front of me. Two babies in front of me. One of the babies is supposed to have his bris milah on Shabbos. Remember again, bris is docha Shabbos. One of the babies is a Shabbos bris. One of the babies is a Sunday bris. Right? V'shachach umal es shal echad b'shabes b'shabes. And I will say, what happens? They all look alike, right? And, and, and so, so what happens? So the mall ends up giving a bris milah to the Sunday baby on Shabbos. And I will say, now let's talk about this just a moment. What's the net effect of that act? The net effect of that act is, remember, what's the status of a milah done before eight days? Irrelevant. Nope, not kosher. Not kosher. In fact, if you do a milah before eight days, there's a din of hatafaz dambris. You have to draw blood again on day number eight. So we'll say, Salach lemaisa, halach lemaisa, a bris, a bris done before day eight is halachically irrelevant. So in this case over here, look what happened. The Moel circumcised Sunday baby on Shabbos. So, num- so, the, so, so not only did he not do the mitzvah, I will say, what else did he do? He performed the malacha. Right, what's which malacha? Shechita. Because any act of drawing blood on Shabbos ultimately again is an act of shechita. So I'll say this is a case of ta bidvar mitzvah v'lo asa mitzvah. In other words, my, I'm the mole. My intention was to do a mitzvah. My intention was to do a mitzvah. I made a mistake. I didn't end up doing mitzvah. Like, not only did I not end up doing the mitzvah, but what? I committed navera again, all unintentionally. I'm not shogging. So I'll say so. The shaila is in a case like this. What's the level of liability? So Rashi says, Rashi says, listen to this. So this is a machlokas. Ultimately, again, Rabbi Meir, machlokas Rabbi Meir and, and Rabbi, I'm sorry, Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yoshua. Sorry, no, no. Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Eli, Rabbi Abiezer. Right? So we're going to see this So Rabbi Yoshua says that your potter, Rabbi Yeshua says that you're potter. And ultimately, again, Rabbi Eliezer says that you're chayif. So Rabbi says, now watch this. We've just established that our Mishnah, that our Mishnah, affects the view of Rabbi Meir. And Rabbi Meir holds that Allah HaLamaysa, you could be chayif for multiple liabilities simultaneously. Isr Chalal Isr, Isr Bas Achos, Isr Mosif, Isr Kolel. Okay, now, here's the Shailah. But our Mishnah is different. Because right, Rabbi, Rabbi Meir Shit is quoted in a case of where a person is mamish just 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 committing an iser. Our Mishnah is Tabidvar mitzvah. Two couples got married. There was a mix-up. They had relations. Ultimately, again, their intention was to do a mitzvah, consummate the marriage. Now they didn't end up doing it. They didn't have era. We now the halacha falls Rabbi Meir or Rabbi is the Tana. But who does Rabbi Meir hold within the discussion of Tabidvar mitzvah lo asa mitzvah? So let's go back to the Gemara. Rabbi Meir Ali b'deman. If he holds like Rabbi Yoshua, Ha'amar Ta'abidvar Mitzvah Potter. So, okay, Rabbi Yoshua, right? Because Rabbi Yoshua holds, I will say that what? Ta'abidvar Mitzvah, Velo Asa Mitzvah, is Potter from liability. So, in that case, I will say, according to Yoshua, if the Moel accidentally circumcised Sunday baby on Shabbos, his intention was to perform a mitzvah. His intention was to perform a mitzvah. And okay, he didn't. He didn't. He made a mistake. There was a mix-up. But there's no halachic liability in that case. Well, if that's the case, if Rabbi Meir held like Rabbi Yoshua, then I both say, what should be the din in our Mishnah? Pater. Because this is also a case of ta'abidvar mitzvah. 
It must be that Rabbi Meir holds like Rabbi Eliezer, and Rabbi Eliezer holds Ta bidvar mitzvah v'lo asam mitzvah is what chayiv. That's our Mishnah also. To which the Gemara says, "Well, say therefore again, this is really." Let's have to remember the beauty of these sugyas, the beauty of these sugyas, and this is like. I don't mean to say it like this, but like, this is like real Gemara. Right? Yeah. Not, right? So let's say, so again, what you have over here is something really fascinating. We're learning a lot of like Yisoda. So I've got Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir is the opinion who holds that multiple Isurim could pile up one on top of the other. Right? Isr Chalal Isr, Isr Basachos, Simultaneity, Isr Motiv, Isr Kolal. Okay. I know all of that applies in a case where clearly I'm doing something prohibited. What about a case of Ta Bidvar Mitzvah Velo asa mitzvah. Well, that's a machlokis, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Meir in our Mishnah, this is a case of Tabidvar mitzvah. So who does he hold like? So the simple answer is Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer is going to hold that when the mole accidentally circumcises a Sunday baby on Shabbos, it's an accident, it's a shogeg, but there's liability. In other words, they both say, just because your intention was to do a mitzvah does not free you from accidental liability. Rabbi Yoshua says, yes, it does. Rabbi Yeshua says, intention has a lot to do with everything. Your intention was to do a mitzvah. Your intention was never for something that was prohibited. Your intention was to do something permitted. You end up doing something prohibited accidentally. But Lamaisa, Lamaisa, you're exempt. Clearly, Rabbi, Rabbi Meir of our Mishnah, Hosek Rabbi Eliezer. Ibaisim, the possibility is, the other one Rabbi Yoshua. No, it could very well be that Rabbi Meir holds like Rabbi Yoshua as well. But how could that be? Rabbi Yoshua frees you from liability, to which the Gemara says, when does Rabbi Yoshua say, this is fascinating, when does Rabbi Yoshua say that Allah if you make a mistake with a mitzvah, that Allah is your potter? So watch this. So the Gemara says, Oh, maybe, maybe the long time Rabbi Yoshua holds that Ta'abidvar mitzvah, potter, is in a case like Brismila. Rabbi say, what's unique about Brismila? Zmana Baho. Now, Zmana Baho literally means there's a time constraint. There's that, look at Rashi. Zmana Baho. It's in the intermediate lines of Rashi, about two, four, about eight lines down. Zmana Baho. Shayotarud Lamo Eshel Shabbos Kedeshelo Ya'avor Zman. So, it's very interesting. Maybe the Svar of Rabbi Yoshua, that Ta'abidvar Mitzvah is Potter, is why? Because there's a time crunch. So, that, that type of constraint almost sometimes creates a level of urgency, which could fuel a little bit of confusion. So therefore, again, it's like halacha protects you if you make a mistake. It's almost as if the halacha is a little bit more understanding of a mistake that's made when you're rushed. When you're rushed. And here, you're rushed a little bit. I mean, rushed. You have an entire day. But lamaisa, lamaisa is malabonors. It's possible. It's fascinating. When does Rabbi Yoshua say... It's not in any case. It's not in any case. It's only in a case where the mitzvah has a time constraint. And I will say, but however, in our Mishnah, is there a time constraint? Is there a time constraint? No. There's no time constraint with marriage. I didn't get married today, get married tomorrow. Even the Biri Shon, the Biri Shon could be today, it could be tomorrow. There's no time constraint. So maybe even, maybe even Rabbi, Rabbi Yoshua would agree that in our Mishnah, even though it's Ta'abidvar Mitzvah, you would be Chayiv. That's the Gemara suggesting. Maybe you would be Chayiv as well. So the Gemara says, one second. 
Pahrik Truma. What about the case of Truma? The Ainsman of Baal Rabbah said there's no time element. There's no time element. Yet, Vika Pater, this man, Hayo Ochel Betruma, Venoda Shub Ben Grusha Ben Chalutza. Baal said, listen to this case, it's fascinating. A coin is eating Truma. Coin is eating Truma. Right? And what happens? He finds out while he's eating Truma that what? That he is, right, he's the son of a Grusha or the son of a Chalutza. You know, there's always that, that guy in the family who decides to do the genealogy tests. You know, hey, hey, let's find out who we're related to. D- don't do it. Don't do it, right? Right there. Milton and I were discussing this the other week, right? There's always articles. It's fascinating. There's always articles about this, about people who find out, about this, about that. So this already did the genealogy test, and what happens? Cohen's eating his truma, and he finds out that literally, again, his mother was a grusha. She illegally married his father. So now he's not eligible to eat truma. But yet again, Rabosai, what was his intention when he's... Now, obviously, he's got to stop right now. But what's the Shaila? What's the Shaila? He just ate Truma. He's a non-coin who ate Truma, or a Chalal will call it who ate Truma. Not allowed to do that. Now, Rabosai, what was his intention when he started eating the Truma? Mitzvah. It's a mitzvah for a coin to consume Truma. So this is a case of Ta'abidvar Mitzvah, but yet there's no time element associated with it. Rabbi Eliezer Mechaev, Karen Vachomer, Shavala says, look, Yechaev. Yichayef, sorry, sorry, right, sorry about a lot of stuff, right? But, but Lamaisa now, you're not going to eat Truma, you have to pay Karen and Chomesh, you have to pay again principal plus a penalty fifth. Rabbi Yeshua Potter, Rabbi Yeshua says, you're Potter. So we'll say, this is clearly a case of Ta'abidvar Mitzvah, Ein Zman Behold, there's no time element, and yet Rabbi Yeshua still holds that what? You're Potter. So this would seem to indicate that Rabbi Yeshua is towards nothing to do with time. Towards the says, Ha'it Ma'ala, Amra Bibi Barabaye. Wow. Jose, listen to this. What are we talking about a case? We're talking about a case of Chomet's Dik Truma on Erev Pesach, where there is a time element, right? There is a rush. You have to finish it up early. Incredible. So I was saying, The other possibility is. So, therefore, again, this is where it stops. So, therefore, what, what's interesting about this is as follows. So, now what we've established is a couple of things. Number one, right, we switched the gears of the Mishnah from Hechlifu to Hochlifu, Shogeg. Number two, who's the Tana of our Mishnah? Rabbi Meir. Because Rabbi Meir is the opinion who holds Isr Chalal Isr, Isr Basachos, Isr Mosif, Isr Kolel. Okay, but our Mishnah is also talking about Ta Bidvar Mitzvah. So who does Rabbi Meir hold in, in Ta'abit Mitzvah? So the simple answer is, who does he hold like? Rabbi Eliezer. That's the simple answer, because Rabbi Eliezer holds that Ta'abit Mitzvah is still Chayid. The Yomar wants to suggest, why well, maybe even he holds like Rabbi Yoshua, because even Rabbi Yoshua who holds that Ta'abit Mitzvah is Potter, is only in what kind of case? What kind of case? Zmano Bahu. Where there's a time element, right? There's a time crunch. But where there's no time crunch, Right? Even Rabbi Yoshua will agree that Ta'abidvar Mitzvah is going to be Chayev. Good. So the Mars says another possibility. Perhaps, again, perhaps, ultimately, again, we're talking about a situation of Isra Basachas and according to Rabbi Shimon. So I'll say, what does this mean? So Bishlama Kul maybe we're setting up differently. Maybe we're ultimately going out and saying that Halach Lamaisa. We hold Isra Chalal Isra. We also hold Isra Basachos. 
And the Mishnah reflects the view of Rabbi Shimon. So Bishlam Akul Hu Mishkachas Ludishavin Ushliach Vishavu In Ushliach. So if Rabbi say all of the cases, the first three, the first three surim in the Mishnah could be established as what you could you could set up a case of Isra Basachos. As how, let's say the man sets up a shaliach, the woman sets up a shaliach, upagu shliach b'shliach. And therefore, again, I will say, halacha l'maysa, the two shluchim, beautiful, right? The two shluchim ultimately go ahead and the two shluchim ultimately accept kiddushan simultaneously. And therefore, all of these isurim ultimately devolve at the same time. El nidos heichim I will say, how do you come into the case of Nidos? Listen to this. I'm going to have Amrav. Bishof os mitoch yud gimol la'achar shloshes right lech yuve inhu. So I will say, the case of Nidos that would create simultaneity would be as follows. Where the women in the question become ultimately Nidos from the time that the men in question, from before they turn 13 until after they turn 13, that would create simultaneous liability for the men. And ultimately, again, And if the girls became needles from before they turned 12 and continued bleeding and after the age they came 12. I will say we're not going to get into the technicalities of this. Rashi goes through a whole arichos over here. For our purposes, I will say the Gemara is just trying to set up the case of simultaneity. What we need to take from this part of the sugya, I will say, is number one, like I said before, hochlefu, hochlefu, instead of hichlifu. Number two, first possibility is the Mishnah reflects the view of Rabbi Meir, who holds Isra Chalal Isra, Isra Basachos, Isra Mosef, Isra Kolal. And who does Rabbi Meir align himself with? Either possibility A is either really comes out as either Rabbi Eliezer, who holds Tabit Var Mitzvah's Chayef, or even Rabbi Yoshua, who holds Pater, only holds Pater in the case of Zman But not Zman which would be Pashtas Biyar Mishnah, even Rabbi Yoshua would agree there's liability. Second possibility is Rabbi Meir aligns himself ultimately with the position of Rabbi Shimon, who holds Isser Bas Achos. That when you have simultaneity of Isser, multiple Yisrim could devolve. And the Mishkimar then goes on to show how, according to Rabbi Shimon, you could have this simultaneity both in the first three Isurim as well in the case of Nidos. Beautiful. Mafish no son. So this is a very interesting sogin now. So remember again, the Mishnah said, okay, after we discover the mix-up, after we discover the mix-up, so what's the halacha? Sorry. Second. I just had something I wanted to share with you. We'll say, by the way, I just will point out before we, before we go on with this, how do we paskin in the case of simultaneous Isurim? Right, what do we pass in terms of Isser Halal, Isser, Isser Kola, Isser Mosef? So, it's actually very important. The Rambam, you have to love the Rambam. I said, don't you fall in love with the Rambam after a certain amount? Right, right, what would we do without the Rambam? Mama, she brings everything together. What a. Incredible. So, I'll say, Hilchosh Kagos, Perak Dalit, Halacha Dal. Listen to this. So, here the Rambam quotes, Haosa Averos Harbe, Beheelam Achos. If a person commits multiple Averos, I'll say, Obviously, all of these cases assume that you're, you, you, are, you are violating multiple averos. Helam achos. What does helam achos mean? One lapse, right? All, all, all of this is happening kind of in one lapse of awareness. So what's the halacha? Rambam says, Chayiv chatos alkol achos va'achos. Ultimately, again, one is chayif for every single prohibition. Now he says, V'chein. I'm not going to go, you look, say, by the way, I would urge you, look at this Ramam, Dalit Aleph. Dalit Aleph. It's a great halacha that goes through this entire sugya. I want to just show you one line. V'chein. Im asa maise echad, shu alav, mishum shemos harbe. 
If a person goes ahead and engages in one prohibition, that has one act, I should say, that has with it multiple prohibitions, chayiv al kol shem v'shem, v'hu shahayu ha'isurin kulan ba'in ka'achos, o isr mosif, o isr kolel. So we'll say, so now watch this. The Rambam says, essentially, if you commit one act, one act, and in that one act, there are multiple isurim that come across as a result of that one act, you're going to be chayiv for all of them. As long as what? Either, there's simultaneity, or it's an isurmosif, or it's an isurkola. If what you're doing satisfies any of one of those three criteria, Basachos, Isramosif, or Israkolo, there is individual liability for each of the prohibitions. That's how the Rambam paskins. So that's why I will say again, in this case, the best case is the Achal Chaylev, right? Because that's the best illustration of this. In the Achal Chaylev case, you're going to be Chayiv ultimately again for each of these prohibitions. Why? Why? Basachos. Basachos. In the case of the Mishnah, you're going to be Chayiv. It is Basachos, but what else is it? It's an Isra Mosif, and what? And an Isra Kolal. So therefore, that's, that's how he finds Allah, number one, Isra Chalal Isra. But again, when is Isra Chalal Isra? Either A, simultaneity, Basachos, Isra Mosif, wider net, or Isra Kolal, more Isrum stacked on the same people. Incredible. Let's go back there. So we'll say now, very interesting halachas. Remember again, what did the Mishnah say? When they discover the mix-up, when the two couples discover the mix-up, and each couple now is, you know, now with its, with its um, appropriate spouse, right? So what's Talocha? We separate the husbands, for, husbands and wife for three months to see is the woman pregnant from this, from this mix-up. So we, so we, we separate them for three months. So we'll say, by the way, the three-month concept is the concept of Havchana. We have this concept also when a woman becomes widowed, right? That Halacha Lamaisa, Halacha Lamaisa, we'll see again about, about, about Havchana and Yibum, but Lamaisa again, Three months they have to separate a woman, right? Woman is, forget about even case, woman is widowed or woman is divorced. She has to wait three months before she gets remarried because we wanted to see if she's pregnant from her previous husband. So same thing over here, we separate them three months. I says the Gemara, Vaha ain't Isha mis aberes bebiarishona. I but a woman doesn't get pregnant from biarishona. Woman doesn't get pregnant from biarishona. So this is very interesting. Now remember again, the Mishnah is presupposing that halacha lamaisa, we're talking about over here a first marriage, right? So in the case of the Mishnah, we have two couples getting married for the first time, right? And these women are besulos. So what does the Mishnah say? There's a mix-up. There's a mix-up. So what happens now? Halacha lamaisa. Now again, as a result of the mix-up, these couples had relations with each other, right? Which means these women had relations with men who are not their own husbands. So now we understand the mix-up. Everybody's restored back to their marital unit. We say, okay, wait three months before resuming, before resuming marital intimacy. One says women are pregnant. Mara says, but a woman doesn't become pregnant from Bia Rishona. She doesn't become pregnant from the first act of relations. Now, both say, what does that mean a woman doesn't become pregnant from the first act of relations? We see this concept in Chazal many times throughout the Gemara. So we'll say, I'll just point out, we don't have time to go too into it now, but Lamaisa, this is a fundamental machlokes about what this concept means. The know that the Yehuda says, it doesn't mean that a woman can't become pregnant from Biarishona. The know that the Yehuda said, just in the eyes of Chazal, most women do not become pregnant from Biarishona. Now, why is, why is that? Why is that? 
The note of Yehuda doesn't say. But he's saying, Chazal are not saying that women never become pregnant from, from, from Bia Rishona, just most times they don't become pregnant from Bia Rishona. It doesn't explain, though, it doesn't explain Lamaisa what this means. So we'll say, this is the position of the Noda Yehuda, the position of the Chassam Sofer. What I will tell you is something very interesting. In the Shailas Uchuvas Marsham, Chelek Dalit Simen Ayin, he writes something amazing. He says, Rabosai, this statement of Chazal was reflective of their, we'll call it biological reality. He marks this up to a concept of Nishtanu Hateva. There are concepts, Rabosai, interesting if there are concepts that Halacha Lamaisa we know were reflective of certain physical realities that were once true, but are different now. Rabosai, what's the paradigmatic example of that? Right? Okay, maybe not. Right? Fish and meat. Fish and meat. Right? The Gemara says you're not allowed to eat fish and meat together. Why? Kashla davaracher. Cause saras. Cause saras. Causes illness. I don't know. Does fish and meat today cause illness? I mean, you could say, Baruch Hashem, because you drink lechaims in between, nothing ever happened. I say, again, it's clear today fish and meat don't. Again, it's halacha and shulchanoruch. Right? So you, you cannot eat fish and meat together. That is the halacha. Right? But Lamaisa, clearly the dangers that Chazal were talking about are not, are not in effect today. Right? Again, there's, there's a whole bunch of literature about this, also about maybe it was mercury levels in fish, that apply, whatever it might be. But Lamai says, nishtanu hateva, that sometimes things change physiologically. So the Marsham suggests over here that this must have been another physiological change. Bismani Gimara clearly, Chazal understood, women do not become pregnant, they did not become pregnant from Bia Rishona. What was different then than different now? Don't know. But Nishtanu Hatava. So, so two approaches. Either the Node Biud and the Chassam Silver, who say that Allah Khalamaisa, it's really a din. Really a din ultimately in Rove. Rove women do not become pregnant from Biari Shona. Or ultimately again Marsham Nishtanu Hatava. Okay, so says Digimara. So what are we concerned about? In other words, why are we concerned about the women becoming pregnant? Women do not become, most women, or, or no women become pregnant from Biyar Rishona, to which the Gemara says, Okay, the case of Osa is where the couples may have had more than one act of relations. In other words, who says it was just one act of relations? Maybe they had an act of relations and then had another act of relations. Whoa, 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 one second. If there's more than one act of relations, Rav Osei, then ultimately, again, there's a whole bunch of liabilities going on over here, right? Forget I both say, again, there's liability for every single act of relations. So let me see, why are you capping it? In why are you capping it at 16 chatos? There could be 32 chatos happening over here. By the way, not even that. There's actually the, actually the position of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer holds that in the case of forbidden act of relations, there's actually, again, multiple liabilities for the entire act of relations. Rabbi Eliezer holds that it could be that every motion in the act of relations in and of itself carries with it a different carbonic liability. The Yimara says, you're right. You're right. Rather, we're just, from a liability perspective, we're only focusing on the Biyar This is a fascinating sugya. What do you mean that you can't become pregnant from Biyar Tamar became pregnant from Biyar Remember again, who did Tamar become pregnant from? From Yehuda. So let's say, so one second, Tamra was married to two men, right? Before Yehuda. So watch this. 
So we say, how could Tamar have become have become pregnant from Biarishona? So the Gemara says, so Amrle Tamar beetzba macha. Shabbos say ultimately, so this is fascinating. Apparently, part of the reason why a woman doesn't become pregnant from Biarishona, this in the eyes of Chazal, is because of the Basulim, because of the Basulim, because of the hymen that's intact by the Biarishona. So apparently, it's the presence of the Basulim that ultimately prevent pregnancy from occurring. Shabbos says, so Tamar, Tamar removed her Basulim by herself. She removed her Basulim ultimately in order to become pregnant from Yehuda. So we'll say, this is actually interesting. Whether, whether it's that because of the Basulim, I, I don't know, I, I don't know what the physiology of from the eyes of Chazal was it, but Lameisa, it's the presence of the Basulim in the eyes of Chazal that prevented pregnancy from Biarishona. Tamar removed her Basulim before being with Yehuda in order to ensure that she would become at least a heightened probability of becoming pregnant from that act of relations with Yehuda. So we'll say, apparently, this was sometimes a practice that women would go ahead and remove their besulim before they would get married, so as to heighten the probability of becoming pregnant from the Biyari Shona. Ultimately, again, the Gemara says, the women in the house of Rebbe would often remove their besulos, besulim, excuse me, before going ahead and getting married, and they, they were called tamar. They used to call these girls tamar. tamar. Why would they go ahead and be called tamar? Because of Tamar, who removed her Basulim before being with Yehuda, in order to hide the probability of Shabbos, and I'll point out, the halacha is actually very much against women removing Basulim. But it's actually an interesting Shailin halacha, because sometimes you could have a situation, where let's say a woman goes to the doctor, and sometimes the Basulim, the membrane itself, could be so thick that it would prevent beer from occurring. So sometimes a woman has to have the basulim surgically open even before she gets married. Leaving that aside, it's very important that the basulim remain intact because that basulim, that basulim again, there's a whole, is halachically and also hashkafically much associated with that. So Lamaisa halacha contemporarily would frown on this type of practice. But Lamaisa again, it was done. It was done of women actively removing the basulim before going before getting married. Lamaisa in order to go ahead and become pregnant from Biarishona. So the Amos said, again, where does this practice come from? Apparently Tamar. Apparently Tamar. Sigmar says, but I don't say, what, what, are you telling me that when Tamar was with Yehuda, she was a basula? She, she, has, she has basulim? She was married to Er and to Ona. She's married twice. She's married twice. Sigmar says, I vaha havu Er onan. I, what about Er onan? Er onan shimshu shiloki darkon. I say, this is wild. Say, Er onan, Er onan. Only had Bia Shaloki Darka, did not have regular act of relations with Tamar, only Bia Shaloki Darka. Incredible. The Gemara says, Mesve, call Essen Va'arbacho. They're supposed to say, let's analyze this. So, therefore, again, Halacha Lamaisa, Halacha Lamaisa, so Tamar was still a Basula. She was still a Basula, physiologically a Basula. Lamaisa, when she was with Yehuda, when she was with Yehuda. So, we'll say, this is a fascinating Halacha. Mesve, call Essen Va'arbacho. All 24 months. I was saying that which 24 months we're referring to over here. This is a woman had a baby. A woman had a baby and she's nursing. So you have to understand something. You know, we, we live in, in a different age, right? A different age of synthetic formula. When a mother was nursing, Chazal were very concerned about anything happening 
to her milk supply. Because if something were to happen to a nursing mother's milk supply, she could put her infant child in danger. So listen to this. So the normal, the normal time also to nurse was 24 months. So therefore again, so all 24 months that a woman is nursing, this is wild. This is when her husband has relations with her. means he has relations with her, but ejaculation should happen outside. He should not ejaculate inside of her out of concern of what? Impregnating her. Now I will say, this is absolutely wild. Why is this absolutely wild? Because I will say, we have a very severe avera called of wasting of seed. You know, it's one of these difficult, it's uncomfortable to speak about because it's an avera that, that many are nechshalin, right? During our youth and different things like that. But, but Lamaisa tried to be metaki. And I will say, you know, it's an amazing thing. If you look in the tefillah of Tshuva of Rabbeinu Yonah that we say before Yom Kippur, it's an amazing thing. Say before Yom Kippur, we say this Tshuva Rabbeinu Yonah. And I will say, do you know the Avera that's referenced to most in that Tshuva, in, the, in, that, in that piece, the, the Avera most, is is wasting of seed. And it's an incredible thing because you think it's like Yom Kippur, it's Rabbeinu Yonah, it's, so we'll say, we're people, we're people. And again, in our youth and growing up, and even now in our youth, like we all, we all have different yetzahs. We're human beings. We're human beings, like we saw in the tzaddik, right? The most common yetzahara. We saw in the Gemara, right? That there are, two, there are two averas that no one is saved from. What are the two averas? Right? Immorality and theft. Everybody violates that in different ways. We're human beings. And as severe as the wasting of seed is, most of us are nichshal in it at different times in life. It's, it's, it's Rabbi Yonah puts that front and center, right? So if we're going to do tshuva, let's be honest. If we're going to do tshuva, let's have a conversation. If we're going to do tshuva, let, let's, let's put our cards on the table because that's the only way to rectify things. So that, this seems like totally wild. So Rabbi Eliezer says, however, when a woman is pregnant, well, sorry, when a woman is nursing, we don't want her to become pregnant so the husband can have relations with her, but he ejaculates outside. So I will say, so I'll just point out, how could Rabbi Eliezer allow that? How could he allow that? Isn't that wasting of seed? So I will say, I will tell you something amazing. You should know, where does this Shiloh come up all the time? Uh, no, not all the time. Right? Where does this Shiloh come up? I will say, in situations of infertility, right? Often when a couple is struggling with infertility, so often, for two reasons. Number one, often they have to do a semen sample. And so the way they used to do it, the way they used to do it, was vaginal retrieval. A couple would go ahead and have relations and they would, they would retrieve the zera after relations. Today, often they don't like to do it that way because they like to have what's called a clean sample, right? Without any, anything else mixed into it. So the Maisa, they asked the husband for a sample. How, how, how do you provide a sample, right? How do you provide a sample? So there's a whole discussion in the post scheme about whether or not one is permitted to provide a semen sample. Now there's two different reasons why they'd want a semen sample. One is just for semen analysis to see what's the sperm count was, right? Is the infertility is an issue with the husband, issue with the wife, a combination. So often they just, they need a sample. Other times they need a sample ultimately to fertilize the eggs. So we'll say there's a lot of discussion in the post skin about going ahead and providing a sample. So there's a whole discussion that says that's not called Hotsa'as Zera Levatala. Because we'll say, what's the definition of Levatala? What does Levatala mean? To waste for no purpose. This is not a waste. This is not a waste. The zera is actively being used. 
So because the zera is being used, that's a purposeful emission, right? That is a purposeful zera. So again, there are many poskim who are against it, but many poskim ultimately who permitted for this particular reason. It would seem to be that Rabbi Eliezer is using the same logic. The Rabbi Eliezer will say it's a mitzvah to be with one's wife. It's a mitzvah to have a normal marital intimacy. So this, but yet, in this case, Rabbi says she cannot become pregnant because allowing her to become pregnant could potentially put the baby, the nursing baby, in mortal danger. So therefore, again, in this case, being motzi zera outside of the wife is not called levatala. That's not called levatala. In other words, levatala means when there is no active purpose which is being served. But when there is a purpose, ultimately, again, it's not called levatala. But I'll say now, obviously, these types of shilas, and we know passing this way, by the way, with this, with this, with Rabbi Eliezer, right? But the ma'isa, again, when it comes to the infertility shilas, again, these are, these are important, important shilas. That have to be done in consultation with a with a, with someone who knows these halachas. Because Rabbi say doing it the wrong way, doing it the wrong way, halacha is a severe isrikaris, right? It's it's a severe thing that we try to avoid, but possible. But but lemaisa again, just understand that's what's driving Rabbi Eliezer. This is not called levatala because lemaisa. This is how one engages in a normative act of relations with one's wife. During the time that she is nursing, other opinions said, "What are you talking about?" Said really it. "What are you talking about? Having relations and then wasting seed on the outside? That's like erva onan. That's like erva onan." So the Gemara says, "So say now, what does that tell you? That sounds the fact that it compares the fact that it compares having relations and then ejaculating outside to erva onan sounds like what? Erva onan did have normal relations with Tamar." Just what didn't they do? What didn't they do? They weren't motizera inside of her. They're motizera outside of her. But it sounds like they had normal, normative active relations. To which the Gemara says, It's like the act of erva onan, but not like the act of erva onan. How so? Here's the difference. The Gemara says, Erva Onan, it's like their act because Erva Onan did not emit Zera in a way that was capable of impregnating Tamar. But it was not Ke Erva Onan, and that Erva Onan only had Bia Shaloki Darka with Tamar and never had Bia Kidarka. That's why, even though Tamar was married twice, Halacha she was still a Basula when it came to Yehuda, which is why she actively removed her Basulim in order to become pregnant from Yehuda. So the Gemara says, Bishlama Onan by Onan it says, Onan it says, he spilled his seed, he spilled his seed. On the say that's by the way, right? The English word for wasting seed, the English term is Onanism. Right? It's borrowed from Onan, right? Onanism, right? Comes Mamsh comes from this. Torah says, he wasted his zera on the ground. So I understand by Onan. Ella Ermina. How do we know the Er did it? Gam Oso. The Pasik says Hashem also killed him. So we'll say the Torah is equating the behaviors of Er and Onan together. Bishlama Onan. So we'll say, why did they do this? Why did they do this? Do this. Bishlama Onan Mishum Lo Lo Yazara. So we'll say it's actually interesting. Remember again, Onan marries Tamar Y as a form of Yibo, right? Er, right? Er dies without children. Onan marries him. Or Onan marries Tamar. 
Why does Onan waste his seed and not impregnate Tamar? Suppose it's incredible. Onan did not want to give offspring to his brother. Right? He just, he was, he was uninterested. In Ultimately, again, the Zerah is not going to be his. Ella Er, my time of Why didn't Er want to make Tamar pregnant? Tamar apparently was very beautiful. And Er was concerned that if Tamar would become pregnant, she would lose her beauty. He wanted his wife to remain beautiful. He did not want her to become ruined, quote unquote, by pregnancy. Okay? Turn around and say, Rabbi Osai, Salachal Maisa again. So there, what's this? So again, just point, how exactly did we get into this? So I'll say, so again, right? We really took like a sharp detour. So again, just to point out, just let's, let's loop this back a little bit. So I'll say, just to understand, the way we got here was because the Mishnah said, that after we discover the mix-up and everyone has returned back to their rightful spouse, they have to separate for two, three months in the event that anyone's pregnant to know whom they're pregnant from. To which the Gemara says, but one second, you don't become pregnant from Bia Rishona. So the Gemara says, either one of two possibilities. Either we're talking about, you're right, this, maybe, maybe there were multiple acts of Bia. That's possibility number one. Possibility number two is that maybe the woman in question took out her besulim. And if you take out your besulim, Ultimately, you can become pregnant from Bia Rishona. Who shows us that you can become pregnant from Bia Rishona if you take out the Besulam? Who's the example of that? Tamar. And then we just said, Tamar, Besula, she's married twice. Then we get into that whole discussion. Also, again, just remember the concept that a woman can't become pregnant from Bia Rishona. Machlokes, Machlokes, no debiude chasam sofer on one side versus the marsham. Is it Nishtana Hateva? Is it Rov? Good. A little bit weiter. A little bit, a few minutes left. So let's say, let's go. Tamar Osa, so we'll say this is fascinating. When a, when, a, when a man and wife, when a husband and wife or a man and woman have relations, so the halacha is, after the act of relations, everybody's chayiv to go to the mikvah. So the positive of So we'll say, so the halacha is that whenever you come in contact with Zerah, so the man emits Zerah, the woman has the Zerah inside of her. That requires immersion in a mikvah when there's contact with Zerah. So the Gemara says, Prat lekalo. Who does this come to exclude? A bride. That a bride doesn't have this chiv in tvila. Rashi says over here, Osa, Visha, Yishkav, Isha, Osa, Shech, Vazav, Rach, Zomayim, Osa, Miutus. Fine. Osa, Prat lekalo. Comes to exclude a kalo. Divrei Rebbe Yehuda. Chum l'chum say, Prat l'shelo kedarko. It comes to exclude Bia Shaloki Darko. It's only a regular Bia that ultimately generates a mikvah obligation. Bia Shaloki Darko doesn't generate a mikvah obligation. I'm really home breed of Nachler of Nachman. Lemech Hasar Behuda. So let's say, writers of Behuda say it excludes a Kala. Why would it exclude a Kala? Hatorah Chosa al Tachshite Kala. So let's say, this is incredible. Why don't we require immersion in a mikvah for a Kala? Because a Kala spent so much time on her makeup on her adornments. If you make her go to the mikvah, what happens? It all washes off. Incredible. I'll say, take a look at Rashi. Take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, Prat lekala, telo bayit vila mishum tuma birishona. Why is that? Aktakshi tekala, kachol usrak, shinosena salpana. She has all this beautiful makeup. Vim titbo yaavirum hamayim. And if she goes to the mikvah, the water removes all of that. So I'll, you know, cover to the kala, we don't make her go to the mikvah. So the Gemara says, There's another reason. Ultimately, again, because a woman does not become, become pregnant 
from Biarishona. The Rabbi said, now what does it have to do with anything? So this is actually very interesting. The Grashi points out over the fishing, we'll, have, we'll end with this. The fishing, Yishim is Rosh Biarishona, for those Shikhvas Zera Karinabe. So said, the term Shikhvas Zera, right, which we normally translate as a semen, but ultimately means Zera that has the ability to impregnate. So because ultimately, again, a woman doesn't have the ability to become Tamea, to, to become pregnant from Biarishona, therefore, Halacha Lemaisa, that Zera, doesn't have this halachic designation of shechvas zera. And the only time that there is a tevila obligation generated from Bia is when the zera has the ability to go ahead and impregnate. So we'll stop over here. We'll pick up a mirror to show with this machlokes tomorrow. Shkoyah.